Um, one of the things that I didn't anticipate, <clears throat> I'm going to try to not cry. That's going to be, that's going to happen a lot this morning, trying to not cry. Um, I didn't anticipate with our kids being in service, uh, this conviction as we're singing and saying, Jesus, we love you. Christ, be magnified in my life. Um, that I would feel the conviction of the Spirit to ask, do my kids know that at home? And I thought, like when I'm over there praying, I thought this was just for me. Like I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask forgiveness and do all this by myself over there. Um, but it, it just grew and felt like that's how I got to start. Um, I, I feel the spirit in me just moving to, to say, I don't want just your Sunday morning worship. How, how else will they know? I don't, I don't want my kids growing up. I don't want your kids growing up coming in on Sunday mornings and turning the Christian on and then going home. And the way we speak to each other is hateful. And I'm not just talking about my, my sharpness and harshness with my kids sometimes. I'm talking about our relationship and your relationships is Christ magnified when we walk out these doors and we snap at our spouse for going the long way to lunch? Or feeling the Spirit prompting us to reach out and text somebody and we ignore it? So I'm going to pray. This part of this, the, the service is the pastoral prayer. I'm going to pray as your pastor that we as a church, that includes me, that includes Brian and our families, that we as a church would not just be Sunday morning worshipers. We'd be whole life worshipers. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, would your name be hallowed in our lives? Would we not just feel this emotional movement on Sunday mornings to raise our hands and to cry and to sing out loud. But God, that, that same passion for you and your glory would extend into our homes and would cause us to fear you above everyone else and all the problems that we have. That we would trust and depend on you to bring us joy and peace like Brian gave us this morning. God, would you forgive me for wanting to find joy and peace and comfort in my kids' obedience in a peaceful home. Would you forgive me, God, for being codependent on my relationships with the people near me, with this church, with the ministry that you've called me to? And God, would you do something incredible in me and in Brian and in this church? Would you let us fear you alone? 
trusting and depending on you alone, God, to give us everything we need to satisfy our souls, to bring us joy and peace and comfort and fulfillment. God, we pray Romans 8 over ourselves, that we would not be weighed down with the burden of guilt, but that we would know there is therefore now no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus, that you have set us free by your Holy Spirit from sin and death. And so would you let that be reflected in our lives by the way that we love one another, by the way that we speak to one another? Would you transform my language with my family, with my friends, with the people near me? Would you let us really magnify you and glorify you with our whole lives, not just on Sunday mornings? So God, we give you this time. I thank you for the gift of preaching that you've given to me. Would you let me bear it with honor and responsibility for your name? Thank you for the opportunity to gather as a body this morning. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. You may be seated. All right. That was an unexpectedly emotional beginning, but I will not apologize for it. Thank you, Richard. Um, well, good morning. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. You got to meet Brian. Brian is the pastor of equipping and operations. I'm the pastor of preaching and vision. And so one of my responsibilities is to lead the, um, to lead the preaching ministry of Redeemer. And so I look at probably move at a year at a time. I'm looking ahead. What are we going to be doing for um, Advent next year? We're already thinking about that and praying through that. Uh, and so that's one of my responsibilities. Another one of my responsibilities as the pastor of vision is to kind of see where we are, to understand the moment that we're in, and to ask the Lord for clarity moving forward. Uh, and I wish that God gave us five-year plans. Right now, some Maybe in our future that will happen. Right now, we're moving a year at a time, and that's what we have. And so we're moving through 2023. He's given us a vision and a direction for 2023. And so it's part of my job to communicate that with you. And for the next three weeks after this, we'll also be communicating in a little bit more detail the three primary ways that God has called us to pray that he would bear fruit in Redeemer in 2023. And so to do that, I want to begin with where the story of Redeemer began. And this is where the tears continue because it's a pretty emotional thing for us. All the way back in January 2020, do you guys remember that? Maybe some of us. January 2020, it's, in, it's immeasurable the things we thought we knew in January 2020. But in January 2020, Kendall and I had at that time been uh, spending about 
a year and a half seriously pursuing church planting um, or ministry as a vocation. I had been in a a residency doing some training and shadowing some pastors, uh, learning what it means to be a pastor and an elder, um, and learning some practical things like preaching and theology as as well. Uh, But through that year and a half, Kendall and I were praying, just asking for clarity and kind of, you know, do you want us to move in this direction? Uh, we thought maybe we would be, we were in Abilene at the time, we thought maybe we'd be revitalizing a church in Abilene, and um, we really, Kendall and I just never uh, came to the same place on that, and so then we thought maybe I'm going to be on staff at an established church somewhere in Abilene, and still never came to the same place on that. Maybe we thought, okay, let's think about moving out of Abilene and where that might take us. And guess what? San Angelo wasn't on the list. We're both from San Angelo. We love San Angelo. There's so many redeeming qualities about San Angelo. But in January of 2020, we weren't ready to come back. But then we just got really frustrated. We got frustrated with uh, being in conflict about our future, about the direction we were going. We were frustrated about a lack of clarity. And so there was one night near the end of January that we just prayed, uh, we prayed essentially the Lord's Prayer. God, we want to glorify you with our lives. We want your name to be hallowed. And so would your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives as it is in heaven? Is essentially, that's not literally what we prayed, but that was the posture of our hearts. We we're submitting our wills and saying, we're, we've tried to figure this out, and it's not working. We're not figuring it out. We've striven for almost two years and came up short. So, God, we submit our will to you. And no coincidence, that night, the Lord planted the seed in our hearts to come back to San Angelo. Now, I will say, there's a caveat here. Just because you pray that prayer does not mean your prayers will be answered instantly. That's like the last time that happened that way, okay? <laughs> so this is no like, like prosperity thing, like pray this prayer and you're going to get the thing you want. But there was something that happened when we lined our hearts up with uh, what God was moving us into, to be in this posture of just submitting to him. And really what the Bible t- says about this is fear of the Lord, And we don't use the word fear like the Bible uses the word fear. Fearing the Lord means to trust in him, to depend on him, like an infant fears its mother because that's where its life is found, okay? That's the kind of fear we're talking about here. And so over uh, the rest of 2020, we moved back to San Angelo in December, and that whole situation is another sermon series in itself of spending four months um, with our in-laws, trying to figure out where we're going to live, constantly being reminded to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Submit our will to yours. And so we start gaining momentum. We're having um, information meetings in January of 20, well, actually November of 2020, continuing through February of 2021, and we're gaining momentum. We're, we're getting people that catch the vision that say, yes, we're into this. And then the Lord brings us into this situation with the journey where we combine churches and we bring the journey along with us in what we're doing. And so by August of 2021, we've picked up this momentum. We've got about 60, 65 people with us. 
And I look back and I'm like, I did not really do that. That same looking back and feeling like I didn't do any of that happened when I fundraised for two years of my salary before this. And so this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, is really us praying in confession and in connection with what's really actually happening here. It's not to get us some special thing that we're asking for. It's just to connect our hearts and our souls with what God is actually doing and that he's actually the one in control. And so for 2023, I don't want to get to January 2024 and look back on 2023 and be surprised to say, oh, yeah, God was in control this whole time. I want us as a church to be intentional, to look ahead of 2023 and say, God, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then when we look back, In January 2024, we look back on 2023 and we think, yes, that happened. We prayed that prayer and our hearts and our souls were there. So this this prayer of submitting our will, of God's kingdom coming and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven, we, we will continue to pray this way. We will continue to grow as a church in the fear of the Lord waiting on him alone, and I will say that 2023 will be different. We're going to be doing more as a church. There's going to be more happening, but what will be the same is that we will pray. We're going to be doing more, but we will pray more than that, okay? Now, I decided to use the Lord's Prayer um, because... Prayer is how we will move forward. Prayer is how we will do the things God called us to do. Prayer is how we will obey. Oswald Chambers has uh, this famous quote. He says, prayer is not to prepare us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. So I chose to begin our 2023 Vision and Direction series of Jesus Building His Church and Redeemer By saying first, we will pray, because prayer is the greater work. Prayer, uh, just quickly, as we define prayer, it's being with God, sometimes talking. Prayer is being with God, sometimes talking. We're talking about fearing the Lord and trusting in his will. Prayer is the foundation of that. How can we fear the Lord and trust in his will if we do not pray? Prayer is also the fruit of fearing the Lord. Does that make sense? Like, Prayer is, is what connects our hearts and our souls to God actually being in control, but then prayer is also us needing to confess, oh yeah, God, you really are in control. So as we pray, we'll be led to pray. The Puritans used to say, Pray until you pray. So prayer is the foundation. Prayer is the fruit. Prayer is also where we listen, where we understand what the Lord's will is for us. How do I take the next step? Sometimes we need help. We need answers. 
Prayer is where we listen for those answers. I think uh, personally I've struggled with listening because I feel like there's so much to pray for. There's so many things I need to ask, so many requests that I have, so much alignment even of my brain and the structure of my thinking to where prayer becomes mostly me talking to God or talking at God a lot of times. And I forget that prayer is also listening. But prayer is also just being with God. It's where we confess our need for him to be in control. It's where we confess that God actually is bigger and to be feared more than the people or the problems in our lives that are tempting us out of fearing the Lord. And what I've noticed in, in myself, and being that I want to talk at God or talk to God or constantly request things, requesting, asking God for help, asking God for something is not bad. But what I've noticed is that when I'm only praying in that way, it causes me to see prayer as merely transactional. Like, if I then get involved in something that I prayed about and it doesn't go well, then I wonder, well, did I pray enough? Or if I fail, did I pray the right thing? Did I actually ask rightly, like James says, you don't have because you don't ask, you don't pray rightly. Well, did I, was there something messed up in my prayers? That's not actually what James is saying. James is saying we need to pray with the posture of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so we ask these questions. Have I prayed enough to start? Um, did I pray enough? Did I pray the right prayer? It's also easy for us to think of uh, when we get frustrated that prayer is a lesser work or that it's not work or that it's only the beginning work. So we, we have either asked this question. I've asked it. I think many of us have asked it, especially in the last year and a half. We ask this question either out loud or in our hearts. When are we going to stop praying and start doing something? I've asked myself that question. I'm also guilty of asking the question or, or saying things like, um, well, there's nothing we can do. Just pray. Like we relegate prayer to throwing our hands up. A frustrated response to life. That's not all that it is. Prayer does not prepare us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. And so I want to point us to uh, what Jesus says in John 15. John 15, 5. When Jesus says, there isn't Anything you can do apart from me. I'm the vine. I'm the trunk of the tree. You're the branches. How does a branch bear fruit unless it remains a part of the tree? 
It can't. It'll die, it'll wither, it'll fall off, and we'll throw it into the fire if it doesn't remain in the tree. And Jesus says, abide in me, remain in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Not, you can do some things. Apart from me, you can't do very much. Apart from me, your work is kind of junior varsity. He doesn't say that. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Guess what? We do a lot. We do a lot apart from Jesus, and we still think that it's something. What he says is that equates to nothing if we do it apart from him. Abide in me. Remain in me. Stick to me. Press into me. And I will make you bear fruit. Notice the the passivity of the branch. Like our activity is to pray. Jesus calls us to pray. And then he doesn't even say, and then you will bear fruit. And then you will go and do these things and bear fruit. And then I'll show you how to bear fruit. He says, you will bear fruit because I will make you bear fruit. We just abide and then fruit just happens? Yes. So more than anything we do this year, we will pray. Now, there's three primary fruits that God has called us to ask him for, that he's called us to um, participate in and join him in, because there is an activity to the Christian life, right? Part of abiding in Jesus is obeying him is listening to his will and saying, yes, Lord, I submit to that and I will live in that way. So three primary things, three primary fruits um, that he's called us to pray for and to hope for this year. First, we have the equipping of the saints, the equipping of the church to not just hear the words, but to study scripture and then to be able to teach scripture And through that process, learn to obey Scripture. And so as uh, your pastor of equipping, Brian has uh, a plan for this year of how we will equip you as the body of Christ to study and obey and teach Scripture. Okay? So that's the first one. The second one is through the installation of new elders. Right now, Brian and I are the only elders. We need help. And when I say we need help, installing elders at Redeemer is not um, the, this inauguration of a board of trustees. It's not the election of church representatives. This is the divine appointment, the calling and the appointment and the commissioning of men to pastor alongside us, to shepherd this church through the word of God. And last on my list, but actually first in the calendar, is to launch our, our groups, to launch small groups. Now, to commission small groups for us is not to send out um, people in their homes to go and do their Bible studies at home. 
when we are launching out small groups, what we're doing is we are commissioning pockets of the church into homes and into neighborhoods to learn and live the gospel, to be transformed by Jesus in these homes that would eventually pour itself out into your neighborhoods to your unchurched neighbors, to your friends and your family that don't know Jesus, to the people that literally live near you that don't know Jesus, that work next to you that don't know Jesus. This is what our group ministry is, is um, we're preparing to commission out this year. And that will actually happen at the end of this month. So we've got these three things, equipping, installing elders, and sending out groups. We have much to do ahead of us. This is good work given, by us, given to us by God that he's called us into. What a blessing and a gift that is. But what does it matter if we're not saturating all of that doing in prayer. What happens if by the end of 2023, we have all three of these and we never once ask God for it and never once thank God for it? What is it? More, than, more than just wondering, well, what if? What does that say about who we really think is in charge here? Now, I know this is scary because your pastor is sitting here saying, I'm not in control. That's why we pray. We pray because we're not in control. God has, has given Brian and I this ministry of leadership. Yes, but we follow before we lead. It's scary to not be in control. And when we're afraid, we turn to fear the Lord. And we pray this Lord's Prayer together. Okay, done with my intro. <laughs> That's not a joke. <laughs> um, so when we, one thing that Brian probably will cover in his equipping, when we study Scripture uh, we ask five questions, and so this comes out in our sermon uh, teaching, in our uh, sermon preparation. We ask five questions, five primary questions. These aren't the only questions we ask, but they kind of give us a form and a structure. So we have these five questions that I want you now to write down if you're taking notes. This is going to lead out our uh, preaching series for January. Who is God? We must ask that question first. Always. We cannot jump to, what does this say for me? How do I respond to this? We very first say, who is God? Then we ask, what is he doing? Notice the very two first questions are God-centric. That's the role of scriptures, to teach us about God. But it's also to teach us about who we are. So that's the third question, who are we? And what are we to do? And then the fifth one is kind of like a 4B. How do we do it? So who is God? What is he doing? Who are we? What do we do? And how do we do it? Now, these are not my questions. I got these from some pastors and mentors. They're not their questions. They got them from pastors and mentors. Nobody copyright, copyright, is that a word? Nobody has copywritten. There's no copyright on these questions. <laughs> 
We can ask them. We should ask them. We should ask them when we pray. We should ask them when we study scripture. We should ask them when we uh, preach a sermon, when we teach a Bible lesson. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to ask these five questions. But today, I've got a lot of work even ahead of me still because we're going to ask the first three, and those three answers will not change for the next three weeks. The other two answers, what, are, what do we do and how do we do it, we'll have different answers to them over the next three weeks, but the first three will not. So we're going to answer those first three. I'm laying the groundwork for the rest of this month. So we're going to, ask, we're going to read uh, one more time the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, 9 through 13, and then we'll, we'll start to answer these questions. Jesus says to his followers, his disciples, he says to his church, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now let's ask that first question, who is God? Looking at the, Lord prayer, the Lord's prayer, who is God? Well, I'm going to quickly run through some of these. This can't be a, just a, a full-blown exposition of the Lord's prayer. We don't have time for that. That's a whole sermon series in itself. But I'm going to move quickly. So who is God? He's Father in heaven, right? He's um, hallowed, which means that he is to be confessed as holy and above, way beyond us. Hallowed is similar to what we say God is worthy to be worshipped. That's the word hallowed. So God is Father in heaven. He's hallowed. He's king. He's sovereign. He's provider. He's forgiver. He's deeply connected to earth. Now, this is a picture of God the Father, this first person of the Trinity. But who is saying these words? God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. Now, as the kingdom of God, as the Lord's Prayer relates to um, the kingdom of God and the church, God the Son plays a massive role. We know this because of what the Spirit then tells us in the rest of the New Testament. Particularly, we'll look at Colossians 1.18 and Ephesians 1.22-23. So in Colossians 1, we see the leadership of Jesus, what the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Right? Do we see God the Father has the will, God the Son enacts the will, and God the Spirit points us to the will. So we see in Colossians 1 what, it sa- what the Spirit says about Jesus as he relates to the kingdom of God, as he relates to the church. Colossians 1, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Jesus fits into this word, hallowed. Ephesians 1, 22 through 23. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. 
So Jesus has an incredibly important role in the kingdom of God coming. The kingdom of God being the reign and the rule, including the people within the kingdom. A kingdom's not a kingdom if there's not people. Okay, so Jesus, the Son of God, has the task of kingdom building, of leading, of being the headship of the church. Now, why? Why does God the Father give to God the Son the task of leading the church? Because Jesus' prayer is permanently, perfectly, and eternally, your will be done. Your kingdom come. He prays it in the garden. He prays it today. We can pray this prayer. Our prayer, our confession of the Lord's prayer of God's kingdom coming and his will being done in our lives, we can pray that. We can confess that, but it's imperfect. The prayer of Jesus, of our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done, is perfect. He is in perfect, eternal union with the Father's will. This is why the Son is given the headship over the church. Because his confession is, your kingdom come, your will be done. So we ask again, who is God? Well, God is our good Father, who we trust to work all things out for our good and his glory. And our good Father has given his Son to be the head of the church. So God the Father... Who is God? He's God the Father who has given God the Son to be the head of the church. Okay, now, second question. What is he doing? When I was writing this sermon, I was excited and I was eager to preach this. And then I got to the second point, what is God doing? And it kind of just peaked. I got so excited. In my notes it says, oh boy, this is good stuff. (laughs) Sometimes it's embarrassing for me, even though you have no idea what my notes say, it's embarrassing for me just to say what they say. So I just broke that embarrassment a little bit with just telling you that. Okay, what is God doing? I will begin this by saying, because we know who God is now, we can trust what he's doing. Because we know who God is, we can trust what he's doing. That's why we start with question one. Now, the very first thing that is communicated to us, it's not explicit, but we see it. The very first thing that God is doing is he is listening. Just feel the relief of that. Do you ever, have you ever felt resistant to pray Have you ever doubted that maybe God's not listening to me? Maybe I'm not saying the right thing. Maybe my heart isn't really in that place of confessing his will be done, his kingdom come. He's just not going to hear me this time. Or maybe I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and just nothing. I haven't got anything back. So I'm just tired of it. Do you feel that? Jesus confesses to us and with us, that our Father in heaven hears us. He teaches us to pray because he knows 
God is listening. God the Son, in union with the Father, knows the Father hears us. We can have courage and confidence to pray even when we don't feel like he's listening because we can trust the words of Jesus here, that he hears us. And that matters because that is, that, that's going to influence and fuel and motivate actually praying. Even when we're not saying anything, God hears us. If you've ever read Exodus 2, it's a, just kind of a general, like the, the people of Israel are in slavery. And it says in Exodus 2 that God heard their groanings. He saw them and he knew. That's who God has always been. So why, why does God listen to us? It goes back to that point that I made about who God is. He's deeply and intimately and incredibly concerned with what's happening here. He's not this far off God. You know, there's the, the deist movement that a lot, of, a lot of people will credit the deist movement to um, the institution of America and beginning our um, constitution and why we should use scripture as a moral uh, framework for government. It came supposedly through the deist movement that God is this um, time maker. He's like this, watch, what's it called? The, the watchmaker. There's this man that winds up the watch, he makes the watch, and he, he makes it perfect, he winds it up, and then he just sets it there and lets it spin out until it dies. That is not who God is. This prayer in Matthew 6 communicates to us that God is deeply connected and concerned with what is happening in our lives. He's here. He's not far off. He listens to us, and he acts and he moves or else why would Jesus, the Son of God, tell us to ask him for forgiveness, tell us to ask him for sustenance, tell us to ask him for holiness, if he would not respond? So here's, here's what God being connected to earth, his listening to us, here's what this means. When in Matthew 6, when it says, hallowed be your name, this means that God's glory, his being hallowed, his worthiness of our worship is connected to earth. Remember, when we talked about glory during the Advent series, I, pre I preached a sermon on uh, Jesus being the glory of God. And I, I explained glory as this sort of advertisement of something that's good. Like commercials, well, have you ever seen commercials on like Nickelodeon or Disney? Like the, the amount of like pizzazz and lights and graphics that you see in those commercials, it's like trying to get these kids' attention to say, you need this, this will make your life better, go tell your parents you need this. Or just get on your iPad or your phone and buy it from Amazon. Glory works in that way. 
We've manipulated it to have our own agendas to it, but that's what glory is. When we say, God, hallowed be your name, we're saying, God, would you be glorified in this world so that your goodness would be advertised? And this matters because God is deeply connected to what's happening here on earth because God's glory is for our good. What he's advertising is his goodness and his love for his people. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we're praying that God would be good to us, that he would love us, and that that love would reflect out into the world to glorify the name of Jesus. That's what he's doing. Another thing he's doing, he's building his kingdom. He's bringing heaven to earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God is building his kingdom. The place, the physical and non-physical place where he reigns and rules, God is building his kingdom according to his plans and desires. Now, will is not just what God has planned. It is what God has desired that he plans to work out. It's fuller than just kind of like this. Um, when you die, you set a will for your kids to inherit things. That is part of it. But it's also like God is actively working to live this out. It's not just going to happen sometime later. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. He's building his kingdom according to his plans and desires. And guess what? In the place where he desires it to be done. You being in San Angelo matters. These three things that God has given us to pray for that he would do here this year matters that it's in San Angelo. In San Angelo as it is in heaven. There's a bigness to this. I just cannot communicate to you through my words. I can be as emphatic and wave my arms as much as I can get your attention, and it cannot communicate the bigness of God not only building his kingdom, not only setting his plan and his desire in a place, but that we're invited into it. He makes us a part of it. Did I tell you guys I'd be preaching long today? We've got a short song later. I'm going to be preaching long today. We are a part of what God is doing because it's in our lives that his name is hallowed. It's in our submission to his will that his kingdom is built. There is no kingdom if there are no people. And so God's first move was to call a people to himself. Now let me explain that. Why should we pray this way? Let me ask this side of it. Why not pray this way? Why wouldn't we pray this way? We don't pray this way often. Like, let's be real. We can confess that because we know our identity in Christ is secure, okay? We can confess that we often don't pray this way because we know our confessing that doesn't change our salvation in Christ, all right? So we're going to confess that. 
Now listen, we don't pray this way. We have to be taught to pray this way because there's a natural thing within us that rejects and resists the kingdom and the will of God in our lives. There's something in us called sin. Scripture, and some, it uses the word flesh, and most of the time in the New Testament when it talks about the flesh, it talks about that innate, natural desire to do our own thing, to choose our own way to live. We say, no, God, not your kingdom be built, mine. I can do this. No, God, not your will be done, mine. I know. It's not until we confess that we actually pray this way, that we think this way, that we live this way, that we'll actually be able to see the goodness of God in praying the Lord's Prayer. But we have this tendency, this bent, this nature that resists God being in control. Now, how do we connect this nature to now us being in the kingdom? Well, there's something that had to happen for those two things to connect, right? For us to be able to confess this prayer in earnest. God had to send his son. God had to send not just his son, but his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. His son had to take on this bent desire to do our own thing and resist that and reject that so that we would be the ones, the beneficiaries of the perfection in the life of Christ. That when he dies on the cross, what happens in that moment is he says, all the way that I lived is now yours. All the perfection that I embodied is now yours. You can have it. That's how God sees you. And then when he rose from the dead, that was his way of saying, I'm bigger than sin and death. I didn't just take the punishment. I crushed it. I dealt with it forever. Jesus doesn't have to keep dying for you to be perfect and holy and chosen and beloved by the Father. So we can confess that this is often not our prayer and that we have this bent in us, we have this sinful flesh in us that resists God's kingdom. We can confess that because we're secure in the resurrection of Christ, that our salvation is not just the passport into God's kingdom, but it's also our prayer in and through his kingdom as we live in it. We confess the gospel perpetually now that he did die, that we did need him to die for us, and that now we can honestly and faithfully pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And so this gets us to our third point. Who are we? Well, for us who confess this gospel, this good news to be true in our lives. Those of us who are Christians, who look to Jesus and say, yes, I want that. For us, we are the church. Who are we? We are in Christ. That will not change. 
We're adopted into the union between the Father and the Son. We're not invited just to be observers, but participants in the kingdom. This has everything to do with how we pray in 2023. How we pray 2023 will go, the fruit that we uh, hope to bear in 2023. Because without our union with the Father in Christ, any fruit that we bear is dead fruit. We're just going to, without union with the Father, without submitting to His will, will, fearing God alone, we're just going to shrivel up. We're going to be cut off. We're going to be thrown into the fire. So, for us to equip you for knowing and teaching Scripture, for us to establish the church with gospel soaked shepherds, for us to send you out to depend on God in your homes and in your neighborhoods. We must trust and depend on God by praying, your kingdom come, your will be done in San Angelo as it is in heaven. Now, uh, we're going to move into communion. You can put your things away. Um, I'm going to get communion, and then I'm going to bring it up here. We're not going to take it Individually, we're going to take it together, okay? And we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together as a church, and then we're going to take the elements. And so, band, would you go ahead and come up? I'm going to go get communion. Remember, um, this is all like grape juice and gluten-free bread. So if if that matters to you, it's always grape juice and gluten-free bread. So I'm going to go do that. I'm going to come back up and awkwardly wait for you guys to um, get back to your seats. When you get back to your seats, please stay standing.